0: Well, if you've been with us uh, this summer, admittedly I haven't been here, but uh, (laughs) many of you have. And you know we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And I've had a few people ask me, you know, why do we always go through a book in the summer? Why not do a a sermon series? Uh, And the reason that we go through a book uh, in the summer, last summer we went through James, if you'll recall that, is because really we come from a Reformed tradition. And the cry of the Reformation was grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and glory to God alone. We are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone and Scripture alone is our authority in faith and life as we seek to bring glory to God alone. Now this understanding that Scripture alone is our authority in faith and life comes from the conviction of the earliest reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin that in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, kind of his final words, his final letter to Timothy and reminds him to preach the word because all Scripture, all of it, is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God or the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if you'll remember, when Jesus was in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days, Satan tries to tempt him to turn stone into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, here's what happens if we do nothing but thematic sermon series. You will be anemic Christians, and so will I. Because I will preach what I like to hear, and you'll want to hear those things too. But if we go through a whole book from Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, to the end of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, I can't skip anything. It forces us as preachers to hear the whole counsel of God. John Calvin was convict- convicted to that, kind of a funny story. He uh, preached through Isaiah, kind of a long book. I probably won't do that. But... Uh, <laughs> He preached through Isaiah, and uh, he got about midway through, and there was some conflict in the church, and he got kicked out. He was gone for Geneva for a while, but when he came back, he picked up where he left off, (laughs) right back in the middle of Isaiah. So all that to say, uh, for us as followers of Christ, if we want to hear the whole counsel of God, one of the great spiritual practices we can do is to read through the whole Bible, and we as preachers try to model that by preaching through a book of the Bible. So I can't skip any verses. We've all got to hit them all, even if they don't make us feel good. So, that's why we've been going through Ephesians, and actually, uh, people talk to me about doing sermon series on marriage and all that stuff, and I, you know, that's great. I'm not opposed to that. In fact, we did do a a, a sermon series on relationships in May about a year ago, but Ephesians talks about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, 21, great uh, verses on marriage there. But here we end uh, our our journey through Ephesians this Sunday with Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. It may be found on page 1245 of your Pew Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, page 1245 of your Pew Bible. Listen to the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also may may know how I am and what I am doing. Uh, Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all you who love our Lord Jesus Christ. With love incorruptible. Here ends the reading of God's Word and the book of Ephesians. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. We left the friendly confines of Erbil heading towards the historic area of Nineveh, now known as Mosul home to some of Iraq's besieged Christians. This is... we cannot go anymore. Our guide, past the Majid, brought us as far as the Kurdish army, called a Peshmerga, would let us go. This is about the end of the line if you don't want to run into ISIS. We've been told they control the mountains behind us right now, and a few kilometers down the road, you run into an ISIS checkpoint. This is the town called Bartilla, It has about 25,000 Christians in it, but we couldn't find one that would talk to us on camera because they're afraid of retribution. The conditions here are abysmal. There's no water because ISIS has turned it off and no electricity because the Maliki government has turned that off. They are protected by the Pershmurger, who have set up a perimeter around this town and a few other towns around here. Without that, they know that ISIS would come in and kill most of the people here. They're asking for prayer for Christians around the world. And one Christian leader told me, just like the Apostle Paul asked for prayer, they're asking for prayer that God will protect this town and this region. Bartilla lies just a few miles from Nineveh or Mosul, the first major victory for ISIS just days ago. We found the town nearly deserted. While Christians in the town wouldn't be seen on camera, we talked to one of the house church leaders. On our way back to the Kurdish capital, Erbil, Pastor Majid relays what he said. He told us when ISIS captured Nineveh, they gave Christians three choices.
0: They are not allowed to open their churches, and even if they, they opened, uh, they are going to, to burn the churches. And also, they, the Christians have been asked to pay the tax. If not, they can leave Nineveh, and if they didn't leave and
1: they didn't pay the tax, they should give their heads. When you say give their heads, you're talking about being beheaded. Uh, yeah. In the midst of this cauldron surrounding them, this church leader sent out a prayer SOS. Raise up prayers
0: for us. This is what we need. When man is praying, God is working. So it is important for, for the churches outside Iraq to raise up prayers and also to, to fast for the sake of the people of Iraq.
1: Chris Mitchell, CBN News, on the road from Bartilla to Erbil.
0: That news story is actually a month old. Bartilla is now under ISIS control. The 25,000 Christians that used to live in Bartilla have had to escape. In fact, over 400,000 people have fled their homes in Iraq, running away from the ISIS forces, the Islamic radical forces of ISIS. Most of the Christians in Iraq are now seeking refuge in Kurdistan. Two of our church's missionaries, Chris and Greg Callison, are actually serving churches in Kurdistan. They were here with us not too long ago. If Christians in Iraq refuse to convert to Islam, they will be beheaded by ISIS. There is no question that today there is a battle, a spiritual battle, raging in our world. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our battle it's not against flesh and blood. No, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, why do you think the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the Ephesians exactly? As we prepare to explore that question, please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq right now. We pray for Greg and Chris Callison, missionaries of our church in Kurdistan. We pray that you'd watch over them. We pray, O Lord, that you would bring your mighty hand to help protect our brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to flee these radical Muslims. We pray, O Lord, for our enemies as you've called us to pray in your word today. We pray that you would do a mighty work in their hearts, that you would take the heart of stone, that the radical Muslims of ISIS have, and you'd give them a heart of flesh, that you would open their eyes and take the scales off their eyes that they might come to recognize that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Oh Lord, as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that by your spirit you might speak to us, that the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, most scholars agree that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians while he was under house arrest in Rome. John Stott uh, points out that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was actually probably chained to a Roman soldier as he wrote this letter to the churches in Ephesians. In fact, according to Acts chapter 28, if you go there, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was under house arrest for several years. Now, before Paul's house arrest in Rome... We can see in other parts of Acts, and specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that the Apostle Paul experienced some tremendous persecution because he was so bold in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verse 24 to 28, the Apostle Paul writes this, five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. and hardship Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Life for the Apostle Paul was difficult to say the least as he sought to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. As Paul sought to proclaim the gospel, he was persecuted by Jews and he was arrested and flogged by Romans. And yet... He never seems to blame them for his troubles. For he writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our battle, our battle, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He was clearly... Persecuted by Jews, he was flogged and beaten by Romans. He was stoned by Jews and left for dead. yet yeah, Paul doesn 't blame them for his hardships. He points out that our battle, our battle, is against the evil forces of this present darkness. Why do you think the Apostle Paul wrote these words while he sat in a cell or in a house under house arrest in Rome? Why does Paul say that our battle is against the spiritual darkness? of this, the spiritual powers of this present darkness. I believe Paul wrote these words because Paul saw everything through the lens of Jesus and the Scriptures. Raised on the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul knew that we have all been created in the image of God. We've all been created in the image of God according to Genesis chapter 1. In fact, let's just think about that just for a moment. Even the radical Muslims of ISIS were created in the image of God. But beginning with our first parents, this sin came into the world. And now that image of God has been corrupted as we seek to reflect that image. You remember the story, Adam and Eve are brought into this wonderful garden of paradise. They're told they can eat of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then the slithery-sized serpent comes along. As Revelation calls uh, this serpent, Satan, the ancient serpent of old, Tempted by Satan, Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, all of creation is corrupted. With that original sin, corruption of all humanity takes place. And we now have a selfish, sinful nature left to its own is prone to wander from God. If we will take the Bible seriously, we'll see time and time again... That Satan is very real and his demons are mentioned numerous times, particularly in the New Testament. C.S. Lewis, in his best-selling book, The Screwtape Letters, points out that one of the great strategies of Satan and his demons is to help us believe that he doesn't exist. If we don't believe that he exists, then we won't be prepared to thwart his temptations, will we? C.S. Lewis writes this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Our focus on life should never be on Satan or his uh, demons. Our focus in life should be on Jesus. But as we center our hearts and minds around Jesus, we will see the world as Jesus saw the world, as Jesus saw points to the fact that evil is a very real, a very strong reality in this world, and Satan is real. If you'll remember, when Jesus went out in the wilderness for 40 days, he fasted and he prayed, prepared to launch his ministry. And then Satan came, and in the midst of his fasting, Satan tempts Jesus to turn stone into bread. But Jesus thwarts Satan's temptations three different times by quoting the Scriptures. The first time he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's throughout the Gospels we will see that Jesus is constantly casting demons out of people who have become possessed. In the Gospel of Mark, we see the story where there's a man who who is possessed by many demons. In fact, they're called legion. And he casts those demons out of that man into a herd of pigs, and the herds then uh, go and, and are drowned. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this clear that the devil is real. In John chapter 8, verse 44, we read, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a a liar and the father of lies. Jesus wants us to know that Satan is real. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. But if we don't believe in him, we can easily succumb to the lies that he will place in our head. Lies that tell us, hey, it's okay. You can do what you want. Live life your own way. Or if we do sin, we might begin to feel like, well, maybe God doesn't love me as much now that I've sinned. Even though Jesus has shown us the full extent of his love by dying on a cross for our sins. And as he's hung there and said, it is finished. We cannot out-sin God's grace. God welcomes us with loving arms whenever we come to him in confession and repentance. But Satan doesn't want us to believe that. So quietly, as we ignore Satan and try not deny his existence, he will put thoughts in our minds that will lead us astray from the truth of God's Word. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So where can we go to thwart the father of lies? We've got to go to the truth. Specifically, we've got to go to Jesus. For Jesus is the truth. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to know what is true, we look to Jesus. Jesus determines truth for you and me today, for he is the son of God, God's ultimate revelation to us of who God is and who God is calling us to be. He is the word made flesh. And so if we want to resist the lies of Satan, we've got to go to the truth. We've got to go to Jesus. In fact, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus makes it real clear that you're either with him or you're against him there's only two sides to be on in this world he writes whoever is not with me is against me and whoever whoever does not gather with me scatters the radical muslims of isis are not with jesus are they they're against jesus and they are forcing those who follow jesus to scatter today when the radical muslims of isis kill innocent christians they are acting as instruments of evil they're acting as instruments of satan so, what are we, as followers of Christ in Amarillo, Texas, what are we supposed to do today? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I believe it's true from a military standpoint there are things that our country has to do to protect others from genocide, to to stop ISIS from advancing and killing more Christians. But from an eternal kingdom perspective, what really needs to happen is the hearts of the radical Muslims needs to change. They need conversion. If radical Muslims were to convert to Christ, they wouldn't be killing Christians now, would they? For us, as followers of Jesus... We have got to engage the spiritual battle that's warring around us today. So what can we do specifically to resist evil and help convert anyone who denies that Jesus Christ alone is Lord? We need to do what the Apostle Paul did. We need to take on the full armor of God. Here's a picture of the armor of God. Uh, Since Paul was being watched by a Roman soldier, when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, this basic uniform was what he probably was looking at as he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Paul writes that we need to fasten on the belt of truth. Now, of the uniform items that the Apostle Paul mentions, the belt is the first thing a soldier would have put on. And so it is with us. We have got to put on the belt of truth. But how do we do that exactly? Well, as I shared just a moment ago, Jesus is the truth for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If we're going to engage this spiritual battle that's taking place, we've got to center our hearts and minds around Jesus Christ and Him alone. If we will center our hearts and minds on Jesus, we will see the world through the lens of Jesus, as the Apostle Paul did. Of course, if we want to center our hearts and minds on Jesus, well, then we've got to know what He did while He was here, Right? We've got to read the stories about him. Specifically, we need to read the Gospels. If you've never read all four Gospels, I would encourage you to do so. The first and easiest thing to do is to begin with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest. After you read that, then read Matthew and then Luke and then John. As you read the stories of Jesus, ask God to reveal himself to you and how you are to walk in the ways of Christ. The mission statement of our church is to discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. We discover the way of Christ by walking the way Christ walked, by doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. That's why we help children who are struggling, because Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That's why we invest in children, taking them to kids across America so they might come to know Christ, so they might experience a relationship with Christ in an intensive week at a Christian camp that they could not otherwise afford. One of the reasons that we have triads, we get people into groups of three or four, is because that's what Jesus did. He had Peter, James, and John, and then, of course, himself. The reason that we get into small groups, like 12, is because that's what Jesus did. He had the 12 disciples, right? So as we pour our hearts and center our hearts on Christ, we see the truth of who God is and who God's calling us to be, and specifically what God is calling us to do. We put on the belt of truth, then we are called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, for a soldier, the breastplate protected one's hearts and one's vital organs. For us, as followers of Jesus, our lives are covered by the righteousness of Christ. We are sinful beings with a sinful nature. If there's anything good in us, it's because Christ and God has given it to us, and his righteousness has been placed upon us. As the Apostle Paul explains in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul didn't think he was righteous because of what he did. Rather, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He had received the righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's given to us as a gift so that we are found righteous in God's eyes, not based on what we have done, but rather on what Jesus has already done for us. And we will find protection from the temptations of the devil when we rest in the righteousness of God that we find in Christ Jesus, trusting in the righteousness of Christ to save us, not our own works. Apostle Paul continues to encourage us if we put on the breastplate of righteousness that as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now a Roman soldier can march for miles in his shoes that were designed for marching. And as recipients of the gospel, we are called to share the gospel whenever and wherever we can. For it's the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus that Jesus died on the cross On the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all. It's that good news that ultimately brings peace to a weary soul. Paul continues to tell us that we need to, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, as we look at this picture just for a moment, we can see that the Roman soldier's shield was quite large. It was intended to protect his entire body. And at the beginning of a a battle, usually the enemy of the Romans would often fire uh, arrows. Sometimes these arrows were on fire. And so what a Roman soldier would do is he would huddle behind his shield. In fact, the best thing they would do usually as a group is they would huddle together and make a wall of covering over themselves to protect them from the arrows that were trying to come down upon them. We've got to take up the shield of faith. And we do that best in community. As we come together for worship, as we come together for fellowship, as we come together for prayer, we gather together, and our faith is encouraged and exhorted by one another. After we take up the shield of faith, the Apostle Paul tells us to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, the soldier's helmet protected his head. The salvation that we have in Christ should ease our worried mind to let us know that our salvation, which Christ secured on the cross when he, proved, uh, when he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day, that salvation that he's given to us as a gift cannot be taken away from us when we receive it by faith. Yes, this helmet of salvation reminds us that our salvation has been secured. And so we do not have to live in worry or anxiety in this world today. Finally, we're called to take up the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, Now, the sword is the only offensive weapon that uh, Paul mentions here. And uh, once we put on the belt of truth and center our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ, once we put on the righteousness of Christ through faith in Jesus, once we put on the the shoes of the gospel of peace and we're ready to share the gospel with anyone at any time, once we take up the shield of faith through worship and fellowship, then we're ready to take up the sword, the word of God, uh, the truth of God's word. As I mentioned a moment ago, Every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus thwarted Satan's temptations with the word of God. He quoted the scriptures. In fact, Satan tries to spin the scriptures, and Jesus clarifies what God's word really says and means. Are we able to thwart Satan's temptations with the word of God? When we find ourselves becoming anxious, do we have the word of God resting in our hearts telling us that we should be anxious, as Paul writes in Philippians, be anxious in nothing, but by prayer and supplication, if we make our requests known to God, he will give us the peace that truly passes all understanding. When we do something that we shouldn't have done and we sin and we feel guilty, rather than resting in that guilt, do we remember the words of God that tells us that God demonstrates his great love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. Are we ready to thwart Satan's temptations with the word of God, the sword of God, the the truth? We will if we take the time we need each day to read it. If we will meditate and memorize God's word, then we'll be ready to resist the temptations that Satan brings, and we can thwart his attacks. Reminds me of a story. There was this preacher and his wife who at the end of their year realized they needed to reduce their spending. And so in the beginning of the new year, one of their new year's resolutions was said, we're going to spend less this year. Well, his wife innocently went to the mall because it was cold to walk and get some exercise. Well, she's walking the mall. She saw the dress of her dreams. And she said, oh, I've got to have that dress. So she went and purchased the dress, and she came home, and it was more than she could afford, but she knew she wanted to have it, and so she came to her husband. And she said, sweetie, I know that we said that uh, we weren't going to spend any more money, but I saw the dress of my dreams. It's beautiful. You look at it. It looks amazing. And Well, Satan made me do it. And the husband said, Satan made you do it. What you, didn't you tell Satan while he was tempting you, Matthew 16, verse 23, get behind me, Satan, asked the exasperated preacher. And the wife said, yes, I told him to get behind me, and then Satan told me that the dress looks good from back there as well. (laughs) It might have helped that preacher's wife if she had knew, James 4, verse 7 through 8, where it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. With the Holy Spirit in our lives, the devil can't make us do anything we don't want to do. And if we have the word of God, we'll be ready to resist his temptations when they come. But we've got to meditate on the word. We've got to pray God's word so that it might become a part of us. Finally, Paul teaches us to pray. In this spiritual battle, we are to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, what does it mean to pray in the spirit exactly? Well, to pray in the spirit means that we we pray God's word. After all, the Holy Spirit inspired his word, right? As we read and meditate on God's word, then we begin to pray God's word. And so we pray God's will, which is the most powerful prayers we can pray. Any moms and dads who are out there this morning, in one week your children will be back in school. A great spiritual practice to do before they start a new year is to pray for your children. And actually, if you're able, to walk around the campus where your children will go to school and to do a prayer walk, praying that your child will, will experience the presence of Christ each and every day in that school. Pray that they will be surrounded by, by other kids who, who know Christ and they might grow and encourage one another in each other's faith as they take up that shield of faith. Pray, Lord, that the teachers would, would, would exude Christ or that your child would be a witness for Christ on that campus. And for those of us whose children have already grown or, or those of us who, who may be here today who, who uh, are far from that stage of life, the reality is anytime we become anxious, anytime we have one of those days when we feel like we're under attack, like this morning, my sweet daughter Hannah, who I love dearly, decided to cook breakfast in bed. And she worked hard and diligently for it. But she failed to look at the clock and noticed that it was 4.20 a.m. I couldn't go back to bed. (laughs) Sometimes things are going to happen that are going to throw you off your rhythm. There are going to be times when nothing seems to be going your way. We've got to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this present darkness. We've got to put on the full armor of God. We've got to meditate on God's Word, and we've got to pray God's Word. Because the most powerful prayers we can pray is the Word of God, is it not? Knowing that when we pray God's Word, we pray God's will for his creation, and for our lives. To see an example of what it means to pray God's word, I'd like for you to look at this last
1: video. ISIS looted their properties and left them destitute. They took this woman's dentures, wedding ring, and documents. They took everything. We asked them, please give us something to show that we owned our car, our home. They said, here you have nothing. ISIS searched the home of one Christian in Mosul and discovered these two New Testaments, one with a camouflage on the cover and the other with an American flag inside. They accused him of being both a missionary and a spy. ISIS put his name on a list. He told his story, but asked us to hide his identity. Hey, hey, stop,
0: get back. You are are a Christian. The terrorist uh,
1: told me we will kill you. Sometimes the pressure is overwhelming. Jesus save me.
0: Forgive them. Forgive them. Because they didn't know. They didn't know what they were, what they acted. Can you believe that man's prayer? He's been displaced from his home. He's been threatened with death. Probably many of his friends have are now beheaded. He doesn't pray for the destruction of the Muslims. He prays for their forgiveness. As Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our well, brothers and sisters, there's a battle raging in the world today. We need to put on the full armor of God and remember that as 1 John 4, 4 tells us, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you have already won the battle for us through your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. For on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving to be victorious over Satan, over sin, and over death itself. Oh God I pray that we might walk in that victory and we might be a soldier in your army putting on the full armor of God the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness the sandals with the gospel of peace the helmet of salvation the sword of the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit your truth your word God I pray that each and every day we might Take the time we need to pray for those who are being persecuted around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq as they face persecution. We pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, and all over the world, Lord, where Christians are being persecuted simply because they declare that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. We pray, Lord, for conversion for our enemies. We pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts, open their eyes, so they might declare with us that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. We've also praised particularly this morning for Chris and Greg Callison, our missionaries, our friends, our brothers and sisters who are doing your work in northern Iraq today. Bless them, watch over them, and give our nations and the world leaders wisdom at this time. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen. In response to God's word being proclaimed, let's stand and affirm what we believe.